We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers. That's right, you're back. We're back. We have something amazing to talk about, and you're listening intently because of the sounds of our voice. It will soothe you. It will mesmerize and hypnotize you, and soon you will be happily, blissfully, wonderfully. I don't even know where I was going there. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about something amazing, uh, which we all love. And yes, you may get a little sick of Star Wars, but there was actually something that came out on Disney Plus's uh, behind the scenes of The Mandalorian um, that we got super excited and we wanted to talk about, which is there's a small segment uh, in that where Dave Filoni talks about the wonderment and amazingness of the prequels and Return of the Jedi. And we wanted to talk about that. Uh, Alton brought it to our attention, and now we're bringing it to your attention, and we're going to have a discussion about that. So I'm going to turn the time over to Alton. Uh, Josh and I, as always, will throw in our two bits, and uh, I'm sure Alton will as well, most eloquently. And uh, so we'll jump into this now. Okay, so for those of you that are considering tuning away, do not tune away, okay? Um, this this interview, it's a roundtable of Star Wars creators um, that Kathleen Kennedy happens to not be at the table. I'm not going to express my opinions on that. Just bring it to the general attention. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and they're talking uh, a lot about kind of what drives them to create Star Wars and the motivations behind the stories. And towards the very end of the episode, it's seriously, it's like four or five, six minutes. It's not very long. But Dave Filoni gets up, starts talking, and the entire room is completely enraptured for the entire time, stays completely silent until he finally brings everybody back. This includes people like John Favreau, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, and a couple of other key players. Taiko Waititi. Yeah, Taiko Waititi. Yeah, and, and a couple of other individuals who are key in the most recent entries in the Star Wars universe. Well, and then just excellent filmmakers and storytellers on top of it, too. People who really know their craft and really take the time to dive into story. And Filoni just has them enraptured. And it is one of the most beautiful things. Um, but the disclaimer that I say about the prequels is because regardless of how you currently feel about the prequels, after you watch that segment, I believe that your feelings will evolve. They I, may or I may concur. not change, but they will evolve. Um, there are a lot of things that get discussed and, uh, I'm sure that as we start to pontificate, we may get things a little bit out of order. So if you'd like to go and watch that first, this is a great time to pause and come back, please come back. Uh, but, uh, one of the very first things that starts to come up is why was Qui-Gon important and what was the thing that led him to be the inciting character for Phantom Menace? And uh, the the fundamental statement that Filoni made is that Qui-Gon is one of the few uh, Jedi who has not become so politicized and idealized that he has forgotten that he actually needs to give a crap about people. Um, and so we start to see the opening in episode one of uh, them, you know, coming down to Naboo and they pick up Jar Jar and we'll come back to that more in a minute. But I want to get some of your guys' thoughts first on this idea of Qui-Gon being the inciting character of episode one. Because a lot of people see, okay, obviously Obi-Wan is there, Anakin is there, but how do you guys feel that Qui-Gon has been traditionally represented in the films, and how do you think your opinion of him has kind of evolved through 
uh, watching this. Um, I'll jump in. Uh, Qui-Gon, to me, has always been the important character in that story. It, it, it really isn't... I mean, yes, Anakin is important for the overall story arc, but I think Qui-Gon is the important character in that first movie. You know, we kind of see a young, punkish-type Obi-Wan. I mean, even from opening remarks, you know, when they we Anakin joins, why do I feel like we picked up another useless life form? Um, that's probably not the exact wording, but, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, this is, you know, I, if I walked onto a ship and someone was saying that about me, I'd be kind of offended. That's kind of crappy to say about someone. You know, I get that Jar Jar is not the most intelligent uh, creature, but that's kind of harsh for a little kid. Um, but beyond that, you see... I'm getting kind of emotional here. You see Qui-Gon stepping up and trying to be this father figure for Anakin, even more so after, you know, he has the conversation, well, what about the son, the boy's father? There was no, there was no father. He really starts, he starts doing things and manipulating things to kind of position himself as this father figure. And, you know, a lot of the old extended universe books, you see, you know, Jedi did have families. They did have kids. They had wives. They had relationships. You know, and they started moving away from that. And I feel like he was kind of part of that old guard where, you know, even looking at Revan, Revan, one of my favorite characters, you read the book Revan by Drew Kapinski, uh, or I pronounce his name wrong, Carpentry, yeah, whatever. The Revan book, he's married to Bastila Shan. She is pregnant with his child. That clearly shows that the and he's part of the Jedi Council or is part of the Jedi Order again, and so is she. That clearly shows that they did have relationships. They had children. That was normal. Somewhere along the line, that was they became this weird, um, whatever you want to call it, where. You don't have attachments. You don't have these bonds and, and so on and so forth. And Qui-Gon starts becoming that father figure for Anakin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree. And and we kind of hear a lot more about that with Dave. And, you know, hearing that, I'm like, I yes, yes, that's exactly it. You know, that's the thing that I've always seen. And and then I, I try, why did we get rid of this character? Why did Lucas <laughs> throw this character away? Oh, my gosh. See, but that's that's kind of the beautiful thing. And and again, people who have not watched this yet, go to it because we're probably going to be jumping around to a whole bunch of different points that were made during this yeah. uh, recording. But but later on, he starts talking about how Episode One connects to Return of the Jedi, right? How Phantom Menace and, and Return of the Jedi are connected. And <clears throat> that the kind of fundamental scene that everybody knows of Episode One that... Lucas reached out to Williams and just said, crank this sucker up to 11. I don't care what it costs. This needs to be the pivotal song. The pivotal moment is duel of the fates. Okay. And, and Filoni goes on to explain specifically that uh, duel of the fates is referring to the fate of Anakin of Anakin Skywalker, that if Qui-Gon was able to stay on and act as that father figure and start to grow him and help him become really a, a, a wonderful, masterful Jedi, that that could mark a major turning point for the order to return to normalcy. And as we see the opposite happens, 
that then leads to the opposite as well. The Sith coming into full power again, being able to take over the galaxy in a deep and hurtful, harmful way. Yeah. But by setting up that father figure relationship, having been lost for Anakin, it enables his path to the dark side to be much more fluid because now he doesn't have anybody acting out for his best interests. Um, and in Return of the Jedi, it also provides him with the opportunity to now step up and be the thing that he never had. And that is just a beautiful mirror, just from a like just a story writing perspective, is that concept of being able to create those kind of bookend ideas. Um, what are what are some of your thoughts on Qui Gon there, Krebs? Uh, well, first of all, I mean, just seeing Liam Neeson enter the Star Wars universe made me a very happy man. I've been a Liam Neeson fan for many a year. And uh, but as as a character, um, you know, my first impression when I first saw the Phantom Menace back in 1999, um, he uh, when he was slain by Darth Maul, I was genuinely um, disappointed. I was saddened. I was hurt because I really wanted that character to move forward. Now, as a Star Wars fan, here's Qui-Gon Jinn and his Padawan is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's like, but wait, in the original trilogy, Obi-Wan says that Yoda was his Jedi master, that Yoda trained Obi-Wan Kenobi, which they give legitimacy to in Attack of the Clones. And But, but we get to meet Qui-Gon because Qui-Gon... Uh, you know, he's not mentioned in the in the older films in, in the original trilogy because by that point he's dead and cannot help Luke, right? Luke has to go see a living Jedi Master. And uh, so when I saw Qui-Gon, I was like, well, well, who is this guy? And then um, we got to kind of like know him a little bit better. And I remember that my first imp- my, my my ultimate impression of him was that he was he was a rebel, um, not in the uh, not in the. Uh, rebellion sense, not in the alliance sense, but in in the sense of like he's a Jedi who is bucking the Jedi. And I remember being put off by that because here's the Jedi Council. Here's now the greatest pool of Jedi that we as fans have ever seen gathered in one place at one time. Mm-hmm. And they're all telling Qui-Gon, this is what you need to do. And Qui-Gon is like, well, I'm Irish and I say no. And then just like he <laughs> absolutely bucks him. And he's like, He's like, uh, Jedi Council, I will come to you for your blessing, but if you don't give it to me, I'm going to do it anyway. And I remember feeling kind of put off by that. I'm like, wow, that is, you're you're starting to walk toward the dark side. Now, I, I have certain feelings about the prequels, and none of them are very flattering or kind. That said, after watching Filoni talk about Qui-Gon, and how he is a father figure to Anakin, how he recognizes the need to fill that role in Anakin's life, especially with the whole midichlorian immaculate conception concept, right? Um, it Qui-Gon is like, I need to fill that role and I need to train him because I believe, I believe, I have faith, I have conviction that he is the one of this prophecy that the Jedi have talked about for eons or whatever, right? And so he's convinced that this is the right thing to do. So he yeah. chooses to do it because he believes it's right. And he genuinely cares about the boy. He yeah. genuinely cares about the boy. Uh, and Filoni will go on to talk about the difference between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. So when I finally heard that, that he was the father figure 
that duel of the fates meant the fate of the child, the different fates that could play out based on the outcome of that fight. It genuinely changed the way that I beheld Qui-Gon and the value of that story arc. Oh, 100%. I mean, just uh, if you look at it from a what-if perspective, you can clearly see that if he had survived, Mm -hmm. that Anakin would have gotten the support he needed. You know, um, and, and don't get me wrong. Obi-Wan is a fantastic character. He definitely grows in his power and in his things, but he wasn't the right person. He came at it from a brother perspective. He wasn't, you know, he, he was, he wasn't really trying to be the father figure Anakin needed. And that's what Anakin needed. He needed a father figure. And if Qui-Gon had survived, he would have gotten that. And he more than likely would have been, Hey, You've had this you had this dream about your mother more than a few times. Maybe we need to investigate in this. There, there's something here in the force, um, yeah. you know, but Obi-Wan is like, no, be mindful. You know, you're you're letting your emotions and your connection to your mother uh, distract you. And, you know, we kind of see that in, in the first movie. He loses his father figure in the second. He loses his mother. And then in the third, he loses the only relationship he has left, which is his relationship with Padme. You know, and, and again, all of this is based, you know, the, the second one is fear. He's afraid his mom's going to die. He goes to save her. He doesn't get there in time. He turns to anger. And the third movie is the, the opposite. He's afraid of losing her. And so he t- then turns to fear. Uh, you know, that fear is there. And then he turns to anger later on. You know, it's it's a fantastic thing, and it, you do see those mar- those points. You know, he's losing things. You know, and even if you throw in Clone Wars in the middle of that, he lost his Padawan. You know, he lost his Ahsoka. Oh. You know, and spoilers. Damn, damn. You, it, that, I'm still that's been watching out there forever. That's I know, but I, yeah, I know it's our Ahsoka fault. Stuff. Sorry, sorry. It's okay. That's okay. I'm behind both of you, so. Uh, that's okay. okay. Anyways, <laughs> you know, we know what happens. <laughs> you know, now it's he, out there. We can't take it back. You're right. <laughs> but this is Anakin's story. He is lost. He is lost. He is lost. And to kind of go back to your your thing where he parallels it to Return of the Jedi, we get to a point where he has to make a choice. Do I lose my son or not? Yeah. And finally, finally, Anakin surfaces and makes that choice. No, I will. I, I've lost too much now. I will not lose the last vestige I have of Padme and my goodness, which really, I mean, that really that is, you know, he, he didn't have, he didn't have a connection with Leia. You know, he knew of her by at that point, but he had no connection to her like he did with Luke. Typical uh, deadbeat dad. And because, <laughs> and because of the full-scale assault that was happening just outside the second Death Star, he yeah. had every reason to believe that she was dead, if not about to die. Correct. Correct. You know, but this this is an amazing character. Don't get me wrong in any way, shape, or form. It is, it's a little rocky in the beginning. It is, you know, for through the, the, the prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's rocky. You know, we've got some corny lines. We've got little Anakin, and you're like, "How can that this kid become this horrible big guy encased in black armor?" 
you know, we move into Attack of the Clones. We've got, again, some quirky lines, this weird love scene with a pear floating in the sky. And um, I hate sand. Yeah. Uh, it's cold, not perfect. It's, it's not perfect. And it gets everywhere. But when you add the Clone Wars TV series in there, you get a more, you get a lot more understanding of Anakin. You get a much clearer picture uh, for certain. And you can see this beautiful story arc. You know, Obi-Wan wasn't the right person. You know, I think Mace Windu would have even been better. But, you know, the council wasn't willing to to take the bet. And unfortunately, you know, and Obi-Wan responded to his master's dying wishes. And I feel like probably in the beginning, it was probably even a little not genuine. He was just doing it begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and eventually I, I do, I truly feel that Obi-Wan really loved Anakin, you know, there at the end. You know, there is genuine tears. There is genuine, genuine grief in his heart when he delivers those words. I loved you. You were my brother. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that's one of the other really interesting things about the dynamic between Obi-Wan and Anakin um, was was that that evolution into really being brothers. Yeah. Uh, by by Revenge of the Sith, and I ne- it had never and this was mentioned earlier by one of you. Um, th- the line in the middle of Episode One, which from a story perspective, that's the inflection point, right? This is where the the heavy blows need to land. Your characters have been established enough by this point that you know what everybody's doing, you know what they're about. This is where you've got to establish what the critical conflict is, and it's right in the middle of the film. Why do I detect that we've saved another useless life form? Yeah. Right? And and for it to go from that utter, not only disdain, but true contempt for this worthless nobody from a backwater planet who's too old to be a Jedi, so why in the world are we bringing him with us? Mm-hmm. All the way to you were my brother, and then even beyond that into 4, 5, 6, where Obi-Wan only talks about Anakin as he was. Yeah even though he knows, right? Like that is a, that is a much heavier dynamic than what I'd originally caught on to. Um, and having Floney begin to start to explain some of these things also elucidates many of the things that I am seeing in Clone Wars. Um, a lot of the deeper character dynamics and why they interact the way that they do, uh, because Filoni really keyed into that. And I think that there are a number of execution errors in the prequels that leads to a lot of that confusion. And one of the biggest ones is another one that Dave Filoni brings up, which I know is a highly controversial thing in the community. Jar Jar Binks. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, but the, and, and Filoni doesn't touch on it for very long, but this is another thing that I really want to dive into you with you guys. Cause I think you're going to have really interesting insights on this. Um, Filoni specifically references Jar Jar in relationship to that line from Obi-Wan, another useless life form, right? Which again, if we're going back to good story templating, we now have established Jar Jar's role. I think that Lucas went way too heavy handed with the slapstick over the top goofiness, but it was very intentional because what he was trying to do is set up this, this, you know, duality against Anakin that says, 
you know, Jar Jar is useless and Qui-Gon has a history of just being kind and giving in and, and that that is very against what the Jedi have become in quotes. Yeah. And so that sets up the ability for Anakin to, uh, not only be an obstacle that needs to be overcome emotionally within the first film to show why he is worth so much more, but also to be able to kick off, uh, Obi-Wan's character cycle through the next two films. Um, so what, what are some of those other execution errors? Or if you have additional thoughts on Jar Jar Binks specifically, I would love to hear what you have to think there, but what are some of the things that you, that you've kind of seen called out after this interview? Well, with, uh, Jar Jar, I think it's beautifully, it's beautifully done foreshadowing, you know, generally in early on in the story, you want to foreshadow something that leads on later. Um, with Jar Jar, it, we see him, he's bumbling, he's an idiot, he's just falling all over himself, and it sets up that line, okay? And, but at the same time, now we can see why Anakin, in these uh, next two movies, is always complaining. He's never teaching me everything. He's not letting me reach my full potential, because Anakin has had to overcome this already negative thought process that obi-wan had in his head you know he's useless he's from tatooine he was a slave he's too old you know all of these things he's had to fight to overcome just for obi-wan to give him more knowledge or, or whatever and, and again this is making an assumption but based on what felonia said and what we've seen that makes a lot of sense so i can understand why anakin has that contempt now you know he has had to fight and overcome that this negative belief system or this negative, these negative beliefs that Obi-Wan had regarding him. Mm -hmm. The other, the other thing that that made me think of really quick that I haven't considered before the, the, the Jedi council does test Anakin, right? Yeah. They see his skills, but they think he's too old. They're still very resistant at that point. And Obi-Wan says, well, you know, I'll train him because that was Qui-Gon's wish. What if the Jedi Order was pawning Anakin off to Obi-Wan, knowing that Obi-Wan was already biased against him because they hoped that he would scrub out and just turn out to be nothing? And so every time that Anakin gets a little bit farther and a little bit farther, that's just frustrating an already frustrated group of people. I think that's an interesting idea. But I would say that the evidence would suggest the contrary. I think that they were generally concerned. I think genuinely, excuse me, they were genuinely mm. concerned um, that not only was he incredibly powerful with the force, but he was also incredibly, uh, he was an incredible liability. Mm. Uh, Yoda talks to him very clearly about fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. He talks to him very clearly about that. Uh, and he tells Obi-Wan that the council's decision is not to train him. So I don't think it was I don't think it was a move of reverse psychology, especially, you know, because we get to see some of the behind the scenes conversations and none of them seem to indicate that they're like, you know, in sort of a a light side version of the emperor. This is all going according as I have foreseen. You know, it's like I don't think that's what it was at all. I think, in fact, if if I can pose another possible theory, that's just a fan, you know, just a, a Krebs theory, if you will. Um what if they don't want the prophecy to come true? If the one shows up 
and brings balance to the force. And and I, I believe Dan and I have talked about this. I, I don't know if uh, Alton, if you and I have talked about this, but it's so interesting that the Jedi are constantly talking about bringing balance to the force, but they're also constantly extinguishing and exterminating the Sith. Yeah. And if you're going to have balance, <clears throat> balance is the yin and the yang. You know, um, as much as some people love or hate gray Jedi, the concept of the gray Jedi is the only concept where balance actually exists. Um, the the alien race of uh, Kiari Mundi, his race escapes my mind right now, but he's the Jedi Council member who has the cone-shaped head. Yeah. There is um, – I don't remember if it's him or if it's another member of his race, but the, the reason their heads are so large is because they have two brains. Correct. They have two full brains on, on uh, across the cone, and there is a character, whether it's Kiari Mundi or someone else, who uh, uses one brain to study the light side and one brain to study the dark side. And um, and thus ad- obtain balance, right? Um, and and we've also had this conversation of how the force inherently is neither good nor evil, but how you use the force changes you, and that's what makes it the light side of the force and the dark side of the force. It's not that the force has a light and a dark side; it's that the force has light uh, acolytes and dark acolytes. The light side refers to the person, not to the force, and so. I'm wondering, especially at this time in the in the New Republic, um, if the Jedi are scared, <laughs> fear leads to anger, um, are scared of the prophecy actually coming to pass. And this is true of most real world religions as well, where, um, you know, they're perfectly fine with having books of scripture and having prophecies, but the moment a prophet is in their presence or the moment a prophecy is being fulfilled, they will not believe because it's too close. It's too immediate. It's too in their presence. It's easy to believe in something that is centuries or millennia at distance, but the moment it's in your face and it's now, one has a hard time believing. And I wonder if that's where the Jedi Council was at that time. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> right, right. And and so, um, you know, uh, going back to sort of like the, the Qui-Gon versus Obi-Wan thing, um, you know, Obi-Wan did act as a brother uh, to Anakin over the years. He did become his brother. And Filoni pointed that out very clearly. He said that Qui-Gon was trying to be a father. Obi-Wan, although he loved Anakin, and he did, um, loved him like a brother. And that's mm-hmm. not the same thing. Speaking as, some, as someone who is a brother and a son and a father, those are three different kinds of love, right? And, um, and Filoni points out that it was Qui-Gon's example that Anakin reached back to when he chose to save Luke in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. That had he not had that, what if Qui-Gon had not played that role? What if Qui-Gon had never taken him on against the council's will and not shown him that paternal example? It was such a short-lived example, but it was enough that Anakin had something to look for. Because past that, he had a wonderful mother, and we could say that his mother's example mm-hmm. um, of sacrifice also uh, coached him on how to, you know, on how to put Luke first. We could easily say that, and I think that's a reasonable thing to say. But if Qui-Gon had never been there, if there had never been a father figure, how much more would have Sidious had his claws in Anakin? How much more of a hold would Sidious have had over Lord Vader? Yeah. Well, and to be very clear on that statement, too, um, 
you know, many people who start to pursue that train of thought then start to say, well, you know, is this only pro father? Like mothers are worthless, but that's not what we're saying. And no. I don't think that that was the point no. either. No, not you at all. You have to remember Shmi, Shmi Skywalker is a slave with no power of her own, no ability of her own to do anything to change the situation for her or for her son. And although she would sacrifice everything for him, and we do believe firmly everything, Qui-Gon was an outside force that enabled Anakin to rise above his station. Mm -hmm. And Shmi's ultimate sacrifice was because of how much she loved him, she allowed him to go on to do this thing that she believed 100% he was meant to be and meant to do. Um, and so the, the, the statement of having that duality of love, that, that is the critical thing is that you have the person who is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice who he loses next. Yeah. And the person who was willing, who was capable of helping to bring him beyond his station was the person who got him out and then died first. Yeah. Right. And so it's this pattern of loss of people who truly, truly turn themselves inside out in the pursuit of wanting this person to be better. And then to have him be in a situation where he's constantly being pushed back where he feels like nobody trusts him, nobody helps him, nobody helps him move forward further than he was, and now he's lost the people who actually were willing to, that would be a hugely, hugely frustrating situation. But in the context of Star Wars, is also a very easy trajectory to get you away from utilizing that that light side of yourself. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. And, you know, uh, K. Mundi, uh, I have a we could talk a whole nother show about him. Uh, uh, I really, my personal opinion, he epically failed the Jedi council in so many ways. So we'll have to do another show on that. But, um, literally this is the thing. Had he had the father figure, like you said, Palpatine would have had no, no power. You know, that was the, that was Palpatine's real power is, you know, Anakin fought, was rebelling because he was struggling with his relationship with Obi-Wan. And so what happened? Oh, you know, Palpatine slips in as the father figure. He slips hmm. in is, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm the good guy that's sitting on the, in the van on the side of the street and you want some candy. Um, you know, <laughs> I see great power and there's yeah. great promise. I look forward yeah. to watching your career. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah I know. I know my, your mom and dad never give you candy, but Hey, I'm willing to give you candy. Palpatine yeah. groomed Anakin for years. Oh my gosh! Yeah, for years. And not only that, he had the power to manipulate the Jedi Council to do exactly what Anakin was complaining about. Um, and so, it, 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 I will give Palpatine this: he was a master chess player. He was a master manipulator, and he really played the role well and was able to move the pieces to the where he needed them. Um, but I ultimately believe he was also afraid of Anakin. I really feel like um, a lot of things were staged, you know, and things happened. Like Obi, you know, Anakin having the overconfidence with Obi-Wan having the high ground. You know, I, I some part of me feels like the emperor was somehow over, you know, fanning his ego and building it up to the point where he made that critical error. Because, you know, you watch through the Clone Wars, he doesn't make that error. 
you know, when he doesn't have the high ground, he finds another way around. And I get he, he, his thoughts was clouded with anger and stuff like that. But you see him angry quite a p- few times in the Clone Wars. You see all these other things. You know, I, I feel like that was done purposely so that he was crippled and would depend upon the Emperor more. Um, mm. it, and again, that's just a theory. I don't, I don't know for certain. It does make for an amazing, truly terrifying villain being in that black armor, hearing that breathing sound. You know, there. I don't think there's a person on this planet that hears that breathing apparatus sound, and they don't know who that is immediately. Um, yeah. And if you do, I'm sorry. Please, but, please watch one of our previous episodes and then yeah, go back right. and do the homework that we've suggested. <laughs> um, Dan, if you don't mind me jumping in here for a second, go ahead. Um, so, Elton, you were asking earlier about like story um, story points that were made or executions that were flawed in some way. Um, and while I don't want to get into a prequel bashing session of which I could spend copious amounts of time, but uh, <laughs> uh, b- b- acknowledging what. Also, that there are redeemable aspects of all three films. Um, I do want to throw in, I think, one of the greatest mistakes that Lucas made in in expanding the universe himself was the midichlorians. I think the midichlorians is the greatest mistake ever made in the in the nine film series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we can talk ad nauseum about that if you'd like. We can get onto that a little bit later. Um, mm-hmm. But I think... I think that um, I think, however, that said, I think that it does pose an interesting scenario that Shmi Skywalker of Origins Unknown was a proper vessel such that the the force, the biological element of the force, the midichlorians, chose her to be the vessel for injecting a new Jedi into the system. We've talked uh, about how you know the Jedi are all. Uh, we, in fact, I mentioned a moment ago about the Jedi talking about bringing balance to the Force, the prophecy about the one who brings balance to the Force. And what's interesting about that is that this actually kind of harkens back to a philosophy made popular in Jurassic Park: nature finds a way. And so, even if you eradicate all the Jedi, even if you eradicate all the Sith, if you took all of the of the force trained and the force sensitive life forms and you thanos them into oblivion. Now that I've crossed three fandoms um, at some point, the force would find a way to re-inject these players because while the force surrounds us, penetrates us, it binds us together while the force is in all life, it uses the sensitives and the force users collectively to shape the universe to drive destiny and uh shmi skywalker was apparently a worthy vessel and the question the 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 interesting question becomes why why shmi skywalker and i don't think the force is any respecter of station so that she was a slave means nothing to me yeah. I think I think it had something to do with her person. I think it had to do if we're going to talk about midichlorians as a thing, then maybe it's her biology um, or her origin. I would be mm-hmm. really curious to know if she leads back to some great Jedi line somewhere and she is unaware of that because of her lineage. I don't know. But um, but I fully believe I fully believe just uh, despite that question, and we can go down that path at some point. 
But I believe midi-chlorians was the worst thing that George Lucas ever did to the series. Absolutely, hands down. Well, see, but this is this is exactly one of the things that I wanted to talk about, though, right? Because um, first off, to address, to address midi-chlorians directly, and then I'll have a follow-up to it. Um, uh, uh, from a, from a story functionality, right? Midi-chlorians are extremely divisive, a very interesting thing. And while there have been some allusions in expanded lore saying that Palpatine may have been trying to seed various opportunities throughout the galaxy, um, we haven't gotten any really like definitive, yes, that was a thing statements yet. Um, we have, yeah. Oh, we have? Palpatine was in no part connected uh, to Anakin's birth. Oh, okay. When did they that have, come out? They have made that. There was there was a comic that they put out, and you saw her pregnant, and you kind of saw uh, Palpatine behind. But if you notice, she's clearly pregnant at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So he's already he's already uh, been conceived. Um, now the really interesting thing, if they make it ever make it part of canon, was the uh, Darth Plagueis book. In that mm. book, Pelagus and Palpatine perform a ritual that tilts the axis of light and darkness to the dark side. And Pelagus makes a, a statement in there. He's like, I know full well that we can do this. However, the force will always counterbalance. Once we tip it to the dark side, it will create some virgins to counterbalance that and bring balance back to the force. Um and then, you know, that is Anakin. And it, the Force, bur- uh, you know, conceived and created Anakin to counterbalance that ritual that they performed. Uh, thus, the prophecy. If they don't bring it back, they're going to have to come up with something else. But that's how it was explained in that book. Um, and then in the comics, I know that for the longest time, because especially after nine, everyone's like, oh, no, they're they kiss their their cousins. And, you know, and it came out. No, she was already pregnant. He appeared and this was him using his power. And he had a forced vision of the past. And he appeared at that point. So Vader was already Vader. Interesting. Um, some other stories of that have come to mind as we've been talking that I'd like to know more about are things like, and, and they may have already done this and I just missed it because I kind of um, extricated myself from diving into the expanded universe there for many years. So I apologize if I missed this, but, uh, but you know, Yoda, anytime Yoda doesn't want to train someone, the movies have established that he goes, too old. Yes. Yes, he is too old, you know, and and yeah. that that's what he said about Luke. That's what he said about Anakin, uh, and and Anakin was like ten, nine, you know, like he's tiny, uh, and he's and he's just a little older than the younglings. But then you look at the younglings, and you're like, holy crap, he, they've been training these Jedi since they were like toddlers, yeah. uh, and so then that begs the question: What is Obi Wan Kenobi's history? What was he a youngling? Was was he, you know, who were his masters prior to Qui-Gon? Because when Yoda starts training Obi-Wan, uh, Obi-Wan's a knight, you know, he's already attained a knight level and um, sort of provisionally, but he's old enough to be a knight now. Uh, and that's when he gets Yoda under, you know, to train him. And then, uh, and then, you know, even Obi-Wan, well, I guess Yoda was talking about Luke being rebellious or or always being forward thinking. And Obi-Wan's like, so was I, if you remember, you know, and <laughs> um, and 
so like what is obi-wan's backstory in terms of of learning about the force to begin with who were his parents how did they discover he was a force sensitive and then a force user right um so that's a story i'd like to know about and in in film nine and we've talked about this a ton but i don't mind saying it again i actually really like the 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 new trilogy I love it to pieces. The original trilogy will always be my favorite, but the new trilogy, I love it. I really do. And in the ninth film, we we discover, spoilers, that Rey is a Palpatine. And I'm trying to remember if it's her mother or her father. Her father is is Palpatine. Her father is the Palpatine. Okay. So he's a grown man. He's like in his 30s, 40s, whatever, right? Yeah. Which means that Palpatine went, went you know, gallivanting around and he done, he done made himself some kids and we don't know. We, we don't know for sure how many, um, wives, if you want to call them that, how many brides he had, we don't know where these come from. Maybe it's suggested that, you know, it could be a clone experiment or things of that nature, but I'm really curious how many kids he has and where and how long this took. I mean, I again, this is an assumption, and and I've read the Darth Bane books, and in Darth Bane, you know, the the rule of two is established, but the rule, as part of hiding in secrecy, is use those around you that you need to keep your your station, to hide who you are, and I really feel like Palpatine really took that seriously. He was a senator. As a senator, it's probably expected that you would have a family. You know, he comes from wealth. Uh, his his parents, which he murdered, were very wealthy. They had children. And so to maintain that appearance, you know, it would look really weird if a senator, you know, from a wealthy family didn't marry, didn't have children. You know, it, it would make perfect sense if he, they only had one. He, he had a wife and had one son. And he really didn't spend a lot of time with him. He used the excuse he was always away at business. Um, mm. And then he, you know, they were on Naboo because that's where he's from. Uh, you know, and if Naboo blew up or, you know, the, they happened to die during the invasion of the banking clan, who cares? You know, his the hands are washed clan. clean. Yeah. Um, but I really feel that, that, that to me is plausible because – that's an end to a mean. He can still use that to hide behind to keep oh, his, his role uh, relevant. Um, uh, but I and to that end, I would love to know that story. I'd love to know about his his even if it was just um, for lack of a better expression, even if it was just a masking family, yeah. right? Like even if it was just his um, you know Sithy beard, if you will. Um, he, I would like to know more about his wife. I'd like to know more about little Johnny Palpatine. I would like to know about, <laughs> you know, and then and then he goes on to get married and have a daughter. And you can see that little Johnny Palpatine is not his, he's not a chip off the old block. He's not, he is not his father, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's an interesting story. And and they've, they've just, they, they, they did this to build Ray's story yeah. in the trilogy. And I get that. But now they've opened so many hornet's nests that could be so fun to explore, yeah. right? Well, I mean, that's... we kind of get the same thing with Luke, you know? You know, we find out he, Vader's his father. Well, well, how, why, where, what? You know, now if they do a Ray trilogy, we could explore that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And and that's really kind of the, you know, one of the 
Really interesting. And and again, everybody remember this conversation was started by like four minutes of of recorded interview. Like this is <laughs> we are super deep. And this is why if you haven't already listened to it, please go do it. Um, but uh, just to kind of bring it back in, I know we don't have too much more time. Um, but that that's that's also interestingly enough, one of the big conclusions to which Filoni comes as he's talking to everybody is talking about those relationships between father and son, about what it means to have lineage, about what it means to have a legacy and to leave a legacy and to be something better. Um, and then he goes on to say something very important, uh, which if you all have been listening to the show for any reasonable amount of time, you've probably heard one or more of us say probably repeatedly, but Faloni goes to talk about how um, particularly after Lucas started to step away, every conversation that the two of them have had has at some point or another bubbled into the idea that star Wars is about hope and kids yeah. need hope. Yeah. Make sure that the stories you tell are hopeful, <laughs> right? Um, and 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 that that that's definitely a critical part of the hero's journey, right? Joseph Campbell's yeah. hero's journey, and Lucas, you know, literally worked directly with Joseph Campbell, um, including running the early versions of the script past him to make sure that he was falling and hitting all of those boxes, but even more so as the universe evolved and as he started to see the impact that it had on people, that theme of hope started to become more and more prevalent. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there are a lot of interesting stories that are going to be told in the next few years, especially if it's the group of people who were in that room. I think we're setting ourselves up for some really cool stories. Um, but it also warms my heart to know that at the end of the day, Star Wars should be and hopefully will continue to be about hope yeah. and about giving that to other people. Um, we've had some some deep episodes recently where we've all shared personal things from our past and background, so I'm not going to get super deep into it. <laughs> But that's that's a common theme for all three of us, and we know it is for many of you too. Uh, you know, we're we spend time on the internet, guys. Like, <laughs> especially right now, <laughs> it is very hard to ignore both the people who are extremely negative, but it's also very becoming increasingly easier to see the, the beautiful diamonds that exist in the middle of all of this muck. Absolutely. Right. The people that are going out and spreading that message and trying to be the best that they can. And I do believe that star Wars is one of those vehicles that enables us to, to hold on to that. Yeah, no. And I agree. And kind of look back uh, to Tatooine. Why Tatooine? Um, I was kind of thinking, I'm like, Oh, I, I think I remember this, but so on the edge of the Western Dune Sea on Tatooine is what's called the Oasis. It is actually a force nexus point for the light side. It is a light side oh. nexus point. So maybe she was near that. Um, I did not realize that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, just like Dagobah has a dark side nexus point, uh, you know, and then uh where luke was you know it had a light and a dark side nexus um 
I wonder if that had some influence that she just happened to be in the right spot near that nexus point and whammy. I don't know. Um, but you're right. You know, J- Star Wars is hope. Star Wars always has been hope. Um, even with the fall of of Anakin into Vader, we know the next episode is a new hope. We know going in, even though we've seen this little boy grow up and fall, there is still hope after that. And not only that, we go to episode six, we know there is still hope that he is going to turn from this dark path, save his son, and come back to the light. And his son will then take up the reins and, and move forward. You know, seven, eight, nine, Luke gets a little murky there, but there's still hope with uh, Leia. There's still hope with Ray. There's still hope with all the other characters. That well, by- and even even through Ray's influence, Luke turns back to the yep. Force, something he had shielded shielded himself from. And so, once again, he became their only hope. Yeah. Right in, in at the Battle of Crate. Yep, and 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 to to follow that thread, you know, all the Skywalkers, all the Skywalkers are dead, all of them, and then Rey makes the conscious decision to pick up the legacy and be a Skywalker and not a Palpatine. Yeah, well, and and none of that, I I feel like Luke mirrors his father. You know, we kind of get that that full circle at the very end. Rey realizes Luke was a father to her. You know, her parents left, you know, when she was very young and she's she's been on her own. She 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 doesn't really have family and realizes Luke was a father to me, even for a short time. And Leia was a mother to me, especially after he goes, he Leia knew you were a Palpatine. And she's like, and she still trained me. Yep. (laughs) She knew what was in your heart. And so she took that saying, wow, I'm going to be a Skywalker because these two people as flawed as they were, and knew the truth about me, still loved and cared about me enough to make me a better person. Yeah. Where you come from and who doesn't love you does not matter nearly as much as the people who do and what you set out to achieve for yourself. And, yeah, I think there's not much more to say. There isn't. All three of you us know, share a very similar backstory. After, um, you know, I, I, I've believed for many years in the Machete Order. And for those who aren't aware, the Machete Order is a sequence in which you can watch the first six films of Star Wars, episodes one through six, um, except you completely eliminate episode one. You just drop it completely off the list as it proves unnecessary in the end. Mm-hmm. After the Filoni Insights, which I think should be the official term. After the Filoni insights, um, I, I'm no longer so flippant about expunging episode one. While there are parts of the film that I think are completely unnecessary, you know, perhaps down the road there will be new insights that add new life and value to even those pieces that I'm not, not such a big fan of. But if only, if only... For the Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Anakin arc, Mm -hmm. episode one has new value for me. And it hasn't had value for me for 21 years. So that was was a profound gift from Filoni to me as a fan. No, I think think putting that in, that was pivotal. I mean, that's, it was really important to have that in there. Um, Because you're right, a lot of, 
you know, I won't say everyone because the people that grew up with those movies, they are the core of Star Wars from. But a lot of the older fans um, are just kind of interested uh, in the way things are going. Um, that Phantom Menace kind of seemed like a, a throw off. Um, but really, it it really is the start of Anakin's journey in a more profound way than we probably really realized. Most certainly. Uh, Filoni has, has given me new appreciation for what Anakin gained from episode one. And not just what we as fans got. Because that's I think that's really where my ire came from was just I was so disappointed i mean i was all into the hype i was all for it i was all excited and honestly disappointed in the end product while i still found some things that i liked about it mostly it was a big disappointment to me and as a fan i somehow felt affronted and offended prior to the age of offense uh um, but after hearing dave filoni talk about it and his deep love for the star wars mythos i see now the the very human qualities and and the value the the depth of value that these characters give specifically to Anakin and without Anakin there is no Luke and Leia and without Luke and Leia there is no Kylo Ben and Rey right like there there's and and there's no progression of the universe thereafter yeah uh, so I, I I appreciate more now. Um, what it means to have Qui-Gon in the universe. Yeah. Well, and not only that, if you think about it, the Emperor probably wouldn't have been the Emperor for very long had he not had Anakin at his at his side. I mean, he went through and wiped out most of the Jedi. He was a ruthless, vicious warrior for him. If he had not had that, I don't think he would have been able to stay in power for as long as he did. He wouldn't have been able to you know, wrestle the control because I think... He, Vader going after the Jedi kept them in so much disorder and confusion that they weren't able to gather force and, and fight back. So no Anakin, no no Palpatine. So, all right. Well, anyways, folks, uh, we have talked enough about this. Um, <laughs> we have. Uh, we will talk about other subjects uh, soon to come. Uh, but with that said, we really have ran out of time and we don't have any more time to go. So, uh, we will catch you next time. And dungeon crawlers, tell your story, whatever may come. And as always, be epic. Don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always. 